It is my pleasure in a moment to introduce to you Dr. Jeff Wilson. And he's been to our church here at least twice before. This is the third time. And we, we just couldn't help but get him back because he's such an engaging speaker. Uh, he has a genuine faith in Jesus that shapes his life. He is a, he's a practicing vet on the Gold Coast. And of course, when you live on the Gold Coast, you naturally want to travel Antarctica, obviously. That's just that's what it works. But he, you'll, you'll know. And if you've seen him before when he's been here, you'll, you'll be inspired uh, just by his, his will and his determination. Just a few things about him, and then we're going to show a video. Uh, he has done the longest solo unsupported crossing of Antarctica. Uh, he was the first to summit uh, the Dome Argus, a solo unsupported. He's got the, the longest land journey by kite across the Sahara Desert of anybody, just in case you get over sick of being cold, he's done the desert as well. The first ever kite surfing expedition across the Torres Strait uh, between Australia and Papua New Guinea, and the fastest solo unsupported crossing of the Antarctica. Uh, church, it's wonderful, those of us online, those of us in the room, it's wonderful to have a man of God here today who's going to inspire us. So we're going to roll the video and then when that's finished, I want you to welcome Dr. Jeff Wilson as he comes to share with us today. Let's roll that video. Polar Explorer, Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson. Stico viaggio di Jeff Wilson. He's off to Antarctica in an attempt to make history with an epic solo trek. Jeff the Vet, as he's affectionately known, is in preparation for another incredible journey. I've been pushing for this journey for over six years, and it's an attempt to break the record for the longest solo polar journey in human history. This form of training is just a taste of what Jeff will experience. In here it's minus 15 degrees but in Antarctica it could drop to minus 50. This one is purely exploration. There's 880 kilometres of ice there that no human being set foot on and that to me is exciting but it also brings a whole lot of unknown. You really are alone. At the top of Dome Argus there'll be no one on the planet more isolated than me at that point in time. Uh, so there's mental challenges as well, but you know, I feel up to it, I feel the gear's up to it, my training's been arduous, I'm ready to go. Hurtling across a desolate wasteland with just the wind for power and his own thoughts for company. His first goal is the appropriately named Pole of Inaccessibility, the furthest point from the coastline. That's the Pole of Inaccessibility. Uh, 9pm yesterday I arrived, um, quite shocked actually because it's just been brutally cold. Jeff Wilson has spent 39 days alone in Antarctica. He's travelled more than 2,000 kilometres using kite skiing. Dr Wilson says it's been a tough journey. The journey was much more difficult than I envisaged. The temperatures, you know, the damage. Jeff has solo travelled across Antarctica for thousands of kilometres. It's the longest unsupported uh, trip anywhere in Antarctica. So that means he's had no flying of supplies. He's purely been on his own. The psychological pressure that man's been under has been amazing. Dancing. Dance for me, dance for me, dance for me. Oh, oh. At the end of the earth to celebrate a world first. Overnight, the Corumban vet became the first person to summit Dome Argus unassisted. Jeff Wilson has battled weather, fatigue and loneliness to complete the remarkable journey. At long last, after 37 days last night, I made it to Kunlun Station, which is the very, very top, bar two metres, of 
Dome Argus. Becoming the first person to ever make it to Dome Argus on foot. Well, against all odds, made it today. It's the highest point on the Antarctic Plateau and also the coldest naturally occurring place on the planet. Enjoying some cold, lonely rest before turning for home. He's got 2,400 kilometres more to return to base and the end of a trip that's helping raise money for breast cancer awareness. Imagine travelling more than 5,000 kilometres in the bitter cold of Antarctica and you're all alone. OK, a polar explorer has set a record. His name is Jeff Wilson. For 58 days, he's used a kite and skis to make his way across Antarctica and into history. Incredibly, against all the odds, he's done it. Completing the longest solo, unsupported journey in a polar region. This is an absolute world-class achievement. Uh, this will resonate for a long, long time. 5,306 kilometres. His link with the sled snapped while avoiding a crevasse, but this close to the goal, he refused to slow down. And then it was over. And just like that, <laughs> I'm back at Nova. Now, Karabin Vet, Jeff Wilson, is on the final leg home. The adventurer was given a hero's reception after conquering a seemingly impossible challenge. From the loneliest man in the world to the most loved. We solo for that long and then to come to this is quite, quite a mind blow for the senses. Many thought he'd never make it, but Jeff refused to give up. Awesome. So good to be here. Grab, grab a seat. Grab a seat. Hey, before I start, I just want to really uh, applaud you guys. Just as soon as I come in to C3, there's a spirit here that is just phenomenal. Your leadership, you know, John, Danielle, and your whole team just make you feel welcome. You ooze the love of Christ. Uh, it just is in your DNA. And the fact that you've put time and, and finance into supporting uh, a cause which is new for me, uh, love your pet, love your vet. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the church made a sizable donation to that charity. We are losing as many vets in the veterinary game as we are vets coming out of Afghanistan at the moment. We're, we've got a mental health crisis in my industry. Uh, we're losing a, a vet soldier every 12 weeks. So uh, my new role with my resilience discussion is to bring this resilience discussion into my own profession. Obviously, I wear two hats. I'm a professional adventurer, but also an animal mechanic. Uh, but there's a lot of pressure on these animal mechanics. And for some reason, there's a softness mentally, which I'm railing against. But today, we're here to talk about resilience and lessons from the harshest crucible on the planet, Mother Antarctica. Um, when I was here last time, I think I was sharing the dream that I wanted to break this record the longest solo. And uh, for you guys in Melbourne, you probably feel like you've just been through the longest solo. Um, but it was something that I battled with government for six years to get permission, and then eventually realised there was this, this feature called Dome Argus that was in the way. I could get around the Australian inability to say yes to this extreme adventure by crossing Dome Argus. The only problem was that nobody had ever done it before. 
So the dream was to get over this feature and back home. When I landed in Cape Town, which was the start point, I had my beautiful wife, Sarah, and she would love to be here today, but she's studying uh, equine therapy and she's in a, a session today. Um, she came in with me to the Russian briefing room and Vasily, the head Russian, sat me down with a map of Antarctica and uh, said to me, now, Jeff, we have, I won't try and do an accent, but we have agreed to support you. Uh, but you must understand, he drew an area, there's a section of no retrieval. 880 kilometres where you're too high to get an aircraft off the ground. We can land an aircraft, put you in it, but we will not get that aircraft off the ground again. The temperature's too low, the altitude's too high. So in front of your wife, I want you to understand, if you need retrieval there, you're not coming home. So... You know, the step of resilience there was making the decision, despite fully understanding there was a chance that I, I may not be coming home, we were committed enough to this dream. And a lot of people would say, why? Why would you put everything on the line for that? And for me, I think last time I was here, I spoke about me being the crash test dummy for the Christian faith. You know, the guy with the radiation sign on and they drive a BMW into a wall? Uh, that is me for the Christian faith. So I'm here to t today that, to let you know you can do life without Christ. Absolutely. You'll make nice bones somewhere, push up some daisies, and you'll do life without him. Or you can choose a way that's exciting. It's like putting that little bit of extra fuel in your tank. Your pistons will fire much cleaner. You're going to have more power, more going power. And there's three times on this journey we're going to go through where all was lost. In the natural, it was either over, I was losing fingers, losing toes, not coming home. Three times God met with me. Absolutely, there's no other way you could explain it. And I, I managed to get home. So I'm asking you today, whether you're a Christian or nay, to take on four really simple principles that will work in whatever environment you're in. And who, who understands here, we are about a third of the way through this current storm. I, I don't think COVID and the way that we're doing life at the moment is over anytime soon. So if you're feeling tired now, if you're feeling like you can't go on, today is for you. And I, I want to talk to the guys in Melbourne. I don't know why, but I feel like you guys have been under an extreme challenge. You need to hear this today. There's someone down there who's right at the end of what you can handle. The ultimate tap out is that suicide notion. You know, you've had enough, you've got nothing more in the tank, you're absolutely considering ending it. Today is me giving you the understanding that if Jamaican bobsled team, Jeff Wilson from, Ant from the sunny Gold Coast, training on the sand, can go into the harshest environment and smash every polar record down there, you have enough in the tank. You have more than you know. And if this works, you know, I talk to corporate environments where the whole notion of Christ is taken out of it. And it still works. The principles are there. They've been built by the Creator Himself. So they work whether you believe or not. But when you add Christ on top of that, it gives you a supernatural advantage in every single storm you go into. The thing is, though, you will not survive a storm that you are not prepared for. In Antarctica, when you hear that sound starting to build, it'll come as a, a dull scream in the distance. 
you start to see snow moving at your feet, you can feel the barometric pressure drop, the hair on your back starts to stand and you know there's a storm coming. You pitch your tent, you start building an ice wall upwind and then the scream comes. You can't stand, you can't breathe, the temperature starts to drop, the wind chill now is below minus 47 and without preparation you know you're not going to survive this storm. So today it's about setting your tent properly. It's about putting the wall upstream. It's about getting ready for the battle to come. We're not through this thing yet. And if we as Christians are tired and sowing negativity from our mouths, we're not an example of Christ. We absolutely need to be the beacons in our community. And the four things we're going to learn today will allow you to absolutely get prepped and ready for this. You are going to be a beacon. Let's go through this journey so you understand it more. The original journey was to cross from the furthest away from the pole through the South Pole and then out through. Sorry if we can go onto that map, guys. So crossing from 12 o'clock down through the South Pole and then out through opposite Tasmania. This section is all Australian controlled and the Australian Antarctic Division and I were at loggerheads for six years. So in the end, I just said, bugger it, we'll go over Dome Argus and I'll get home another way. Nobody had ever done that. All of that ice had never been crossed before and it was a ludicrous idea. It was born in a, in a brewery in Hobart. I'd just been... No, we hadn't, well, I think we'd had one beer, so you can't blame that. We'd just been to the Antarctic Division and a guy who I'd been dealing with for months, I went in, shook his hand, and he pretended he didn't know me. And I thought, oh, that's not good. When a bureaucrat pretends he doesn't know you, he's about to wash his hands of you and all your dreams. So I'm sitting there, and the producer for the film, the Iceman, which will come out at the end of this month, get on Instagram, and uh, you'll be able to follow where you can watch that. It's a phenomenal movie. He looked at me, and obviously for him, if the dream dies, his film dies. He said, listen, Jeff, why don't you do a round trip? Come back to Novo. You can break the mileage that way. And I'm thinking, what does this guy know about wind patterns, polar environments? So we, we pulled up a wind chart, laid it opposite the chart, this, this exact map, and I could see this wind flow off the coast. It had never been used before. The only problem was I had to cross this incredible dome, the coldest place on the planet. Minus 90 Celsius is not unusual there. If you get caught in a minus 90 weather cell, you're not going to survive. Your lungs will freeze and bleed and you'll drown in your own blood. So minus 90 was not something I was looking forward to. But amazingly, that's what happened. So when we talk of roadblocks, you want your roadblocks and your obstacles in any journey to happen well into the journey. When your body's prepped, you've beaten yourself with blows and you know what's coming. You don't want them to happen on day two. Day two of the journey, I froze all of my left hand. Operating in temperatures I've never ever thought were humanely possible to endure. So air temperature of minus 45, you're putting every piece of clothing you have on, you're wearing about six layers, you've got, you've got socks stuffed into your hands, um, socks stuffed on your face, and you're moving into the wind. When I got home, I... I was still struggling to understand why I felt so mentally soft in that first 17 days from the coast to the pole of inaccessibility. 
I looked at the wind chill charts and realized I'd been operating in temperatures between minus 80 Celsius wind chill down to minus 88 for 17 days straight. 16 of those days with a frozen hand. So I, I gave myself a bit of a, a break there. I thought, okay, now I know why I was a little soft. I think for those of you being hard on yourself, why you feel tired at the moment, take it easy on yourself. You've just been through the equivalent of 16 days at minus 88 Celsius. When it comes down to anxiety, tension over your business, your job, your family, your loved ones, your elderly parents, what if they get this thing? All of that tension builds up. So be kind on yourself today. Look at your hand, understand there's a reason why it's frozen. So we go on to this image here. This is my left hand. You can see the finger. It's hard with the red temp, but these two fingers are going black. I'm a veterinary surgeon. My whole life runs through my hands. I make my income through blood and bone and drilling things, and I need these two fingers. They're fairly important to me. Over the next few days, the finger started to deteriorate and split, and then eventually uh, became wood hard. When I would speak to Sarah, my little party joke was to tap the screen, and she, it sounded like wood or stone. Mentally, I'm preparing for the severing of those two digits, doing a self-amputation in the tent. The miracle was that those fingers over the next month healed, and today I have no scar. My main finger is about a millimetre shorter than it used to be, but it regrew like a lizard's tail. So that, that to me was just phenomenal. But it meant surviving over that period, everything from cooking to setting the tent to toileting, an absolute chore, with basically operating with one hand. So things relatively went smoothly up until the point uh, where I had fuel bottles break, fuel go through the sled, and I started doing calculations, realising that if I made it to the pole, I wouldn't have enough fuel to get home. And who knows in life, sometimes the valleys, the worst points, are where we set the character and the tone for the highest point in your life. I often say, you know, when you're in that tough grind, that's what's building the character for you to get to that high point. And I think for the guys in Melbourne, that's absolutely apt. We've been on the beach up here while you guys have been locked at home. Um, we feel for you, but you have built character for your high point. So the fuel broke, it smashed. I rang Sarah and said, listen, I don't think I've got enough fuel to get to the pole and get home. So I turned early for the dome. In retrospect, when we looked at the wind charts, if I'd made it to the pole, the wind would have been wrong for me to get to the dome. I never would have got home. I never would have got over the dome. Where I turned, I was in a perfect position for a storm that then pushed me up and over the dome. But before that point, at 13,000 feet, I hit this sticky snow. Now I'm in that 880 kilometre radius, do not retrieve zone, and everything's ground to a halt. I've got a kite up, I know there's plenty of power in the kite, but the sleds have ground to a halt. So I have to pack the kite, separate the sleds, move one sled two kilometres forward, and then ski back just with what I'm wearing, which felt really exposed. You've got no survival gear on you, you know that if something goes wrong in that two kilometres, you're exposed. Go get the other sled, bring it forward. It was taking me 17 hours to do two kilometres. 
And mentally I'm going, okay, I don't have enough calories, I don't have enough fortitude, resilience to do this. I'm 120 kilometres from the top of the dome. On the third day of that type of movement, I broke down. Rang Sarah, my wife, and the poor girls had these phone calls from all over the planet. <laughs> and you could just hear it in a breath. She'd take a deep breath and go, okay, what's going on? I said, Sarah, this is time. I can't move. I cannot get these sleds to move through this stuff. I can't go down. I can't go up. I'm in the D DNR zone. What are we going to do? And like every wise woman, she just slowed everything down. She said, listen, I know you feel like you're done. Double your calories, get eight hours sleep, and let's talk in the morning. And I think for anything in life, if you slow things down at that point, and for, for the person that I feel is watching today, and I really feel like it's someone online, you are considering ending it all. You have, you have tapped out, you've run out, your resilience is gone. Double your calories tonight, sleep eight hours, and think on it in the morning. Absolutely. It's a lifesaver. Just that one simple thing. Before you make such a drastic decision that leaves behind such carnage and sadness and loss, double your calories, sleep on it till morning. In the morning, I got up, put my boots on, rang Sarah and said, you're a wise woman, I have new energy, I will pull today. Made another two kilometres that day. And that night I set the tent and I knew what wind direction I needed to get to the dome. I drew a line in the snow. Because you're so fatigued that often your brain makes poor decisions. You're already oxygen depleted and it's minus 50 Celsius. So you're not making good decisions. I jammed a ski pole in the snow with a bit of thread on it and it was 100% the wrong direction. Went to bed, did, took my wife's advice again, had eight hours sleep, unzipped the tent, and the thread is over my line in the snow. In a mad panic, I ring Sarah, said, I'm on. Put my boots on. 22 hours later, made it to the top of the dome. As I coasted into the dome, the kite fell out of the sky and landed next to the Chinese base, which is abandoned. So the second roadblock had been passed through. Then it's time to get home. I'm still two and a half, close to two and a half thousand kilometres from home. Day 56, two days before the end of the journey, you're almost at a point where you think you're home, everything's safe, and I stray into a crevasse field. Now, a crevasse is where the ice meets the edge of Antarctica, then it's got to drop 9,000 feet to the sea level. When it bends, it cracks terribly. Those cracks are filled with either a lot of snow or a little bit of snow. And you don't know when you cross them whether it's going to take your weight, let alone the weight of the sled, which is heavier than you. When you get into a crevasse field, there's two choices. You either stop, put up a tent, and get airlifted out. But where I was, there was no way they could get an aircraft to me. It would have gone into the crevasses. Or you just pray that God's going to hold these things up and you cross through. I'm just looking at our time. I don't think we'll have time to play this video, but this is an image of what a crevasse looks like coming in. So I'm under kite power. This is healthy ice here. This is a, a sagging snow bridge with a gap that could be the size of a seven-story building underneath it. And then this is the, the healthy ice. So when you hit it, my theory was that if I hit it at speed, my chance of getting over it was greater. But every time you hit it, 
your heart's in your mouth and you're just waiting for the sled to pull you backwards as it goes across. So once, twice, over a two-hour period, I crossed 42 crevasses like this. And by the time you get out the other side, your adrenal gland is like a cornflake and you're like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> anyway, this is what a, um, a crevasse looks like from the underside. So I met this guy here who drove a tractor with six guys asleep in it into a crevasse. Luckily it wedged and they managed to get out. But each time you're crossing, you're imagining this under your feet just to to convince myself that I wasn't imagining it. I saw a crevasse coming and I, I baseball slid. The, the sleds went past me. Go to that next slide for me. The sled went past me. This is healthy ice. This is snow cap. Went in and I thought, that's it, I'm done. It's going to go through and pull me straight through. The sleds miraculously had enough surface area to hold up their weight. When I stood on it, going to that next screen, I stood on the edge of the cap this is the blue space underneath. So there's no conceivable way that over 150 kilos of sledge should be staying on that. My boot went straight through it. So miracle after miracle. This is me getting to a place called Thor's Hammer, which I knew the way from there. It was the last point that I had travelled. I'd been here before, 58 days previously, and I realised from here on I know how to get home. The feeling of relief, you're not going to pay that ultimate price for your endeavour. Being able to call Sarah and say, I'm back at Thor's hammer, I just burst into tears and fell to my knees and honestly thanked God above for every single help along the way. And you know, if God is so busy, there's so much going on, but he can personally attend to one crazy bobsled Jamaican bobsled guy in Antarctica, the most isolated guy, he absolutely knows your dreams and visions. He knows what's in your heart and is a caring God. Not once in that harsh environment did I ever feel separated from the love of God. So today I really want you to understand that he has an interest in you. Everything is wired that way. We feel it. The more isolated you get, the more I felt it. So what is resilience today? The ability to recover quickly from difficulties or toughness. The ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. Elasticity. How much can you bear and bounce back? I'm going to give you some keys today. This is what a body looks like after this type of journey. So chubba guts on the left there, trying to put on some weight, and then 58 days later, Conor McGregor, ready to... I didn't even know I had abdominal muscles. Um, but it's not, it's not a good weight loss program. Please don't, don't take it on. So the records we spoke about earlier, I'm going to skip through them. Four things that will absolutely change the way your window of tolerance, which for those of you who understand the window of tolerance, great. For those of you who don't, the window of tolerance is that part of your life where when you're within it, you feel comfortable, you feel safe, you understand the world around you. Outside that window of tolerance, you feel anxious, you feel stressed, you feel stretched. Neither place is good to spend too long in. We are designed as humans to stay within that window, step out. Stay within that window, step out. And over your lifetime, your window of tolerance 
should be widening. If your window of tolerance is shrinking, then you need to reset something in your life. Absolutely. If you feel more anxious today than you did 10 years ago, and I know this period has been unusual. With everything going on in the US, with all of the, the speech, the hate speech, the, the separation of society, the race stuff going on, it is easy to start feeling that anxiety. But if you take on these four traits, you'll be able to stretch it. Now, Sean, you touched on one. Your vulnerability really touched me. For you to, as a male, come up here and be that vulnerable, we are moving. The, the men in the Christian faith are moving. Ten years ago, you would never have heard a man be that open, so I appreciate that. The number one thing for stretching your window of tolerance is what Sean just did. It's starting to speak openly and honestly. Honestly, For the first time in this journey, I cut the BS with my wife. I spoke to her honestly, told her where I was at, and that was the single key thing to me getting going every time I broke down because she knew where I was at. She understood what to pray for. There was no smokes and mirrors. And I think in our communication as a, a community of believers, we have to be vulnerable. We've just had another great pastor fall from a pulpit in the U.S., and I absolutely understand the lack of vulnerability in those conversations led to that downfall. If he had been more open and honest, like me, uh, in Antarctica, if I had hidden the trials I was going through, Sarah would not have been able to help me. So in our marriages, there has to be an accountability and openness in our speech, especially as men. Our women have been phenomenal at this over time. So I'm really speaking to the boys. Um, the dreamers... The other way to stretch that right-hand corner of your, your window of tolerance is the dream. You know, there's so many scriptures about this, and I'm, I'm barreling through these because I can see my little clock ticking away here, and it's, there's so much gold here. But Joel 2, verse 28, And afterwards I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. If you as a human being today do not have a dream, that you're stretching for today, your window of tolerance will shrink. Absolutely. One of the single best ways to stretch that window, and we see it with retired people all the time. 65, bang, I'm done. The dreams are packed away. Vroom. They get stressed when someone gives them an almond chai instead of a, a full milk chai. Like, seriously. <laughs> that is a very small window of tolerance. Somebody's indicating a little bit too late, and then they... They force you to hit the brake, and you're fully losing it. Your window of tolerance needs to stretch. Okay, let's get some dreams into our people. You know, it doesn't say young men only will dream dreams. It says old men will dream dreams. That's how we stop becoming bitter and twisted, worrying about what type of coffee we've been served. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. So it's a regular thing. How do we pull that bottom left corner out? You need a coach or an advocate. Now for those Christians in here, you have the biggest advocate in your tool bag and often we don't even use it. The Holy Spirit is your advocate. He will stand for you in front of our maker. He will stand for you in front of your enemies. He will stretch your window of tolerance beyond what you can believe. Absolutely. But if you only have a spiritual advocate, you need to get a human advocate. So find a mentor, 
Find someone who is speaking like Sean with vulnerable language that you can talk to and be vulnerable with. Hook into them. It's like tapping into a 240 socket. You're running on 12 volt. Go find a 240 volt socket. Someone who is absolutely driven and dreaming. If your mentor is not a dreamer, he's not a mentor or she is not a mentor. Absolutely essential. Pull that corner, corner out there. I love this scripture, John 14, 25 to 27. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You have someone, something that stands for you. Absolutely. So today, if you are hearing the whispers of despair, the whispers of your dad didn't love you, so you're not loved by God. Those whispers of it's time to give up. You need to get in with this advocate. Understand that the Holy Spirit speaks for you, steps for you. Jesus Christ died for you. What more of an advocate could he be? Absolutely need that advocate in that corner. So the last thing, to pull that final right-hand corner of your window and blast your window of tolerance so high that COVID is not a stress for you. You know that God's got it in hand. When your window of tolerance is this wide, you know you've got the endurance to run this race. You will have the resilience to do this. Hormesis is a process set up by our creator whereby every cell in your body is able of enabled to get tough. So for me, as a climber, mountain climber, I want my hands to toughen up. So I rub them on rock just to the point where I'm losing skin and then overnight you grow a bit more skin. And then over a period of time, your hands become like bark. You're able to climb longer, climb higher. Every cell in your body does this. You are spiritually wired for this. If we look at what James talks about, James 1, 2, 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or resilience. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this hormesis process works for every cell in your body. It works for your muscles. It works for your brain. And it works for your spirit. If you are not stepping out of your comfort zone and then back, you will not encourage hormesis. If you are just sitting in safe, privileged Australia, you, your window will shrink. You absolutely are designed to step out. And it's the same with your training program. If you're wanting to lift 200 kilos, you're not going to get there if you can't lift 10. And then you lift 20. And then you lift 30. And you work your way through. There's process of hormesis is absolutely proof that we have a creator in heaven because he's hardwired you for resilience. So today I really want to encourage you to understand that every journey has its trials. Absolutely. But as a Christian today, you have a supernatural advantage. You are hardwired for resilience. And those four tenets that we talked about will stretch your window of tolerance to a point where someone gives you a hand gesture of traffic and it'll just wash off you. You have bigger things to worry about. You have a dream here that underpins everything you do. And if you don't have a dream today, I've got about 50. I'll get you one. Come and see me afterwards. Life is way too short 
not to dream and strive and fight. You are designed for it. This resilience message needs to get into our young people. I'm seeing people in my industry come up against the first challenge, lay over and give up. It's not the way we're made to be. It's not the way God saw it designed to be. So today, I encourage you to lock in. We're going to tap through all of these. The Iceman film is 200 years of polar history recounted, ending with an Aussie guy, 80 kilos dripping wet, 49 years of age, three kids, a wife who is amazing. But there's no reason I should have persevered. There's no reason why I should have crossed the dome. No reason why my hands should have healed. No reason that I should have had the courage to cross 42 crevasses to get home. Those four key tenets of resilience and are underpinned by an absolute belief in a saviour who died for us meant that it was possible. Every one of you has more in you than you know. So today, if you're tired, if you're done in, take out our sleep, double your calories, start training, start dreaming and push through. I'm absolutely excited to see what we can do as a community of believers over the next decade with these principles in action. So love you all. Thank you.